Well, welcome to the Didicate podcast. Here we're learning from the wisdom of the past, how to be the church of the present. In these conversations episodes, I speak with various church leaders, planters, and members with the aim of enlarging our vision of Jesus and his church, that we might plant and grow Jesus-centered churches wherever we are. In this episode, I'm here with Dick Coling, lay preacher and church warden in his local church and retired police officer, but still busy working. Dick, it's wonderful to be able to talk with you. Sam, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I feel so touched that you've invited me to this. And uh, it's a real privilege to be involved and uh, to contribute to this really, really important, valuable work. And really good to catch up with you. It's been too long. It really has. What a pleasure and joy to have you uh, here on this podcast. Well, look, we're going to think a little bit in this episode about the gifts of the Spirit. And mm. I hope we'll see that the all about a generous father as this glorious vision for his people to be like Jesus in the power of the spirit. But Dick, before we get into all that, tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks, Sam. Um, and I am prone to waffle on, so you'll have to stop me. If we get to an hour and a half and I haven't finished my little bio, I've gone to on, on too long. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been involved in a local Church of England church here in the village I live at, just outside Leicester, for um well over 40 years now uh, i started going to church at the age of seven for reasons i can't quite put my finger on uh, coming out of a family who didn't go to church uh, at the age of seven i went down on my own and felt drawn and um uh, very interested in what was going on and was hugely welcomed by a number of people uh, in the church and uh, apart from a short period of time when i went to live and work in london i've been at the same church ever since not at all what I planned, uh, interest in the way that the living God moves and directs our paths. Um, I, at the age of 18, joined the police and was the youngest serving police officer in Leicestershire when I started. I did 30 years in the police um, and retired from that about five years ago. But as you mentioned in the in the intro, I'm still busy working and doing some work connected with, with law enforcement. Um, but during the whole of that time, I have been not only an active member of the church, but from even teenage years, started in various different leadership roles, firstly leading the youth group that I was initially part of, and then uh, the vicar at the time got me leading services, and then shortly afterwards said, you ought to do some preaching. And as a result of that, for the last 30, 35 years, I've been involved in, yeah, in, in trying to help lead the church from a lay perspective. Um, I've never been ordained. I looked at it, explored it a little bit, but uh, felt that it wasn't for me. Um, but yeah, and then probably about, so, so I'm leading services and preaching on a reasonably regular basis. But then about two years ago, uh, a vacancy came up within our church for the role of church warden. Uh, I'd be happy to talk about that and the roles of church wardens at some stage, Sam, but that might be for another day. Um, but happy to do that. But that that's meant that I've stepped back a little bit from the preaching and leading element at the moment, because the role of warden is important and quite full on, especially with the several projects we've got running in the church. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I also contribute a little bit to a few bits of writing and uh, podcasts and talks and conferences and so on once in a while. But um, all of those things keep me busy and active. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, it's good to get to know you a little bit more there, Dick, as well. I'm learning things about you there. Um, and you spoke about leadership uh, and your various leadership roles. 
And we'll think about that a bit later, won't we, about how we should view gifting in mm. leadership mm. and the life of the church. But before that, Dick, the big question of this podcast, what is church? You did tell me beforehand that you were going to ask me that question, and I have been uh, thinking on it. Unfortunately, this is not at all uh, original. This is stolen, but this phrase is the one that's been bouncing around in my head. Um, the first line of the um, book by book on the num- uh, on the book of Numbers, which uh, you will know very well, written by Paul Blackham, um, which I was um, particularly struck by, starts with the line, the living God's answer to the world's problem, to the world's problems, plural, is church. Mm-hmm. I was really, really struck when I first saw that because my first reaction was, whoa, hang on a minute, Paul, you've gone over the top. Jesus is the answer to the world's problems, not church. You're getting things slightly confused, uh, as is often the case in uh, conversations or reflections on the writings of Paul. I feel that he has actually nailed something really important there. Church is the answer to all the world's problems because church is where we meet Jesus where we worship Jesus, where we seek to become more like him, where we share Jesus, um, and where we where we learn how to be fully human in the abundant life that Jesus uh, modelled for us, uh, bought for us, and now freely offers us. So, and I think if if I was to think of a scripture that um, bowled me over in the same way as that phrase did it would probably be Ephesians 1 22 which uh, again I know you know inside our salmon most of us will know really well but uh, reading from the New King James just reading Ephesians 1 22 uh, he put all things the father put all things under his Jesus's feet and gave him to be the head over all things for the church mm. just that sense that Jesus was in has been given this enormous position, this elevated position in the universe, and has all things and does all things for the church. When I read and reflected on that some years ago, it really just made me think, church is so much more than I have previously understood it to be. And therefore the statement, church is the living God's answer to the problems of the world isn't really too much of a stretch not when Ephesians 1 is in our mind if he if Jesus is doing all this for the sake of the church then that's what we should expect oh amazing amazing you said uh, you you're not original there I mean I I endeavor to be as unoriginal as possible in my <laughs> life and ministry so that's no bad thing but what did you I say the you apostle said... Paul said the same sound yeah, didn't he? Exactly. Romans 1 I am a servant I'm not here to think on my own I'm here merely to communicate the truth of the gospel yes oh precisely precisely it's when we start trying to be original that that's when the problems happen I think <laughs> but what did you say that, that you said uh, the living God the living God's answer to the world's problems is church. That's, a, as you say, a massive vision of church right there. Mm. And uh, I mean, look, when I was growing up, if I'm just being honest, I was a Sunday only Christian. I thought church was going to uh, an old building uh, with people I vaguely knew for about an hour and I, I would dress up in a suit. And that was kind of what I thought church was 
honestly, mm. and that's mm. my bad. Um, but here's this massive vision of church. Have you always had that kind of a vision of church, or is this something that you've 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 grown up in into uh, over the years? Absolutely not. Um, my understanding and um, uh, involvement in church at an early stage, certainly from those early years, was very similar to yours. I think. Um, although I know I was drawn and I was attracted by this character Jesus that was being talked about, albeit quite loosely, um, I knew there was some significance. I certainly, certainly didn't grasp the significance of church. Um, if I'm being entirely honest with you, Sam, um, I still don't feel that I am that my vision of church matches the statement of Ephesians one twenty two and that summary in the beginning of the um book by book study guide to the book of numbers i feel i feel the truth of the statement i'm not yet sure that i feel it in practice is how i view and deal with church so sometimes going to church on a sunday feels like a chore it feels like something difficult to do how can that be if if church is the living god's answer to all the problems of the world if everything that jesus has accomplished and offers is for the church how can I find it difficult sometimes to go? How, how, how do I find myself on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening thinking, uh, should I go to church or should I do something else? So in practice, I don't I don't practice what I preach enough, Sam. That's the truth of it. But I do aspire to that understanding of church in, in such a way that um, I do. I, I, I commit myself to being involved in a church and going to a service and then being involved in the life of the church, the, the people for the entirety of the week, because I do believe the truth of those things, even though I don't always act it out. Mm. Uh, so I remember someone years ago saying to me that uh, in the Christian life, we're catching up experientially what's already true of us theologically. Oh, uh, it's one yeah. of those great oh, lines. And do you think yes. there's something of that with regards to church? Because someone might say, that's a massive vision of church. It's like mm. church is at the centre of God's life. It's what he's doing in the world. Like today, you know, it's, uh, there's all these elections taking place in America and it's like, that's mm. not really God's top priority in the world, <laughs> though it might be a lot of uh, media outlets' top priority. Church mm. and what's happening with church around the world is his top priority. Would you say that there is that sense in which we have that massive, we see in scripture this big vision of church. We might look at our church families uh, when we gather together and think, is that, is that quite right? But is it true? We're catching up sort of experiencing what's true of us theologically. I think it's absolutely true, Sam. I don't, I don't think it's just in the world of church, as you quite rightly say. It's in the way of all sorts of different uh, truths with, with us as Christians. And I need to be careful here, just in case anyone from my local church were to listen to this bit. But in practice... My involvement with church on a Sunday in home groups and other places doesn't always reflect the truth of Ephesians 1.22 and lots and lots of other similar scriptures and the statement. I don't always find myself thinking when I'm with other Christians in church or in home groups or in, a, in other areas that I might be, this feels like the living God's answer to all of my problems and the problems of the world that doesn't that mustn't be my overriding feeling the fact that i'm not experiencing it doesn't alter the fact that the scriptures make it clear and history across the world for thousands of years has proved the point it, the fact that i don't live and work and worship in a perfect church that fully reflects scripture is just one of those things that we all have to live with because none of us do so um mm. that's not at all talking down my local church which i'm very mm. committed to and hugely fond of and has been a massive blessing to me and my family 
uh, for many years and I hope for many years to come. But no, it doesn't always, I don't always experience the truth of that, but mm -hmm. I do aspire to experience it because um, if church isn't the answer, the living God's answer to all the problems of the world, then to be honest, I've got better things to do. I, I want to find what that what, what is the answer to all the problems of the world. I want to go out and spend my time doing that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just, just a quick one, though. Like, I mean, I would say every every faithful local church is is what Ephesians 1 is part of what Ephesians 1 is, is talking about there. Um, but if there's someone listening who feels and sees a disconnect, perhaps, between that vision for church in, in not just Ephesians 1, but in Scripture and what's going on on a Sunday, what what might you say to them? <laughs> oh, good question. Um I was asked a question at a um, at a church meeting recently. What's wrong with the world? And we were asked to write down on a piece of paper a list of things that are wrong with the world. I don't know whether it's because of my involvement with things like Christianity Explored or frameworks, but the, the only all I wrote down was "I am." That's mm -hmm. what's wrong with the world. I am. I, I don't want to be looking outside and trying to blame. And to a certain extent, I think that might be true of our experience my experience of church for example those days when i go to church and just feel that i'm on the outside and everyone else is in little groups chatting and there's cliques and everyone feels involved and i'm not my first innate um tendency is to want to look outside and think for goodness sake somebody ought to come and chat with me because i'm in need here in actual of fact, the opposite's true, of course, isn't it? I, the reason why I'm not involved with these people is because I've not approached somebody and said, hi, how was your week? Or can I just chat with you because I've had a really tough time? Or I'm just feeling a bit on the outside here. Can I engage with you? Or I've never seen you here in church before. Can you tell me about yourself? Or again, the, 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 I think the tendency can be to look outside and uh, uh, try to apportion blame to the vicar, to the style of service, to the coldness of the building, to the time of the service, to whatever it might be, or to the other people in the church, when in actual fact I've got some responsibilities there as well. If I go to church not thinking to myself, what can I get out of this? If I go to church thinking, how can I minister to people in church today, some of whom will have had a really, really tough week or going through a tough mm -hmm. day, or there might be somebody there who's new for the first time, how can I help and support them? then I tend to get a much more positive experience out of a church meeting mm. that then rubs off in the rest of the week because, as you've said, and we need to continue to remind ourselves, church isn't about an hour or even two hours meeting on a Sunday. It's about the ongoing life of the church in the week, but that's built on our experience as we meet together. Wonderful. So you just laid out there a vision for gathering together as Christians where we're not coming for ourselves primarily. Mm. Uh, we're coming looking to to serve and bless and mm. love others um the scriptures oh, talk about well yeah it is because i think our temptation particularly in a, a a culture that is used to to having everything provided for us and anything we want available to us when we want it providing we've got the cash of course uh, in a sort of consumerist culture that we can bring that into church but uh, let's talk about the holy spirit and what the scriptures talk about are these gifts of the spirit and about how that might help us to think through how we approach those gatherings with church and that other centered mm. approach to church. Do, do you want to introduce us to that? Yeah, absolutely. Delighted to, because of course the way that um, the living God gives and sends his spirit on his people 
is to equip us to become more like Jesus. So we bear the fruit of the spirit. The, the, the spirit works out character in us, uh, which enables us to be able to get on with each other better and to, to be able to um, be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient, kind and good and faithful, gentle, self-controlled, all of those elements. But the spirit also, um, the, the living God through the spirit also gives gifts to his people and to his church in order to enable us not just to have the character of Jesus, but to um, to live out the life of Jesus in those church settings. And um, this has been a subject of interest to me for quite some time. In my teenage years, um, I was hugely influenced by a, a number of charismatic, uh, sometimes quite excessively charismatic uh, preachers, teachers who, for reasons I still can't quite understand, arrived at our church um, and delivered various different uh, uh, meetings, get-togethers, including um, what they called healing meetings, where people came and were prayed for, and some were healed of um, uh, physical illnesses and diseases. Uh, not all were, but some were. Um, some people were prayed for and received um, gifts of the Spirit, which was a new thing for me in those teenage years. That was, wasn't part of the teaching of the church that I'd heard or was familiar with so this was all quite new and exciting to me um, and having that sense of there's more to following Jesus than merely attending a church service that he actually is wanting to be actively involved in equipping us to to be engaged in all sorts of tasks some of which might even be supernatural you know the miraculous was th this was my first engagement with the miraculous I think in church having read about it but now I thought, hang on a minute, we can experience things in a very different way. So I was drawn into that quite deeply for quite a while. But after a while, started uh, with, with a sense of th this doesn't quite feel like it's reaching the, the fullness of what it's meant to. Um, and started pushing in a little bit into what are the gifts of the spirit? Because at, those, at that early stage for me, um, I was turning over meetings and leaders and um, visiting preachers were saying things like, what's your gift of the spirit? Which gift of the spirit have you been given? I had no idea. I didn't know what they were talking about. So I was taken to normally four places in the Bible and shown lists of the gifts of the spirit and told that's what we're talking about. So those four places traditionally were Romans chapter 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, possibly also including 14, but mainly chapter 12, uh, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. They were the four passages that were brought to my attention, uh, either by somebody talking to me or on occasions by a book or a pamphlet somebody gave me. Uh, and I, I remember reading somebody saying, when you put these four lists together, um, we find the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit listed there. And your job, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, your role is to look down that list of gifts and find which one of those you possess and then use it in the kingdom of God. Mm. No, <laughs> That was my feeling, Sam. That was exactly my feeling. Yeah. I suspect that you've got some more to, uh, more to say here. Um, well, what, what might be the problem with that? Well, this is where I started. I've got lots and lots of books by charismatic people and people influenced by that sort of movement. 
um, and started reading them and reading them and reading them and being quite taken in by them, but then thinking, hang on a minute, where's the scriptural basis for this? Um, so when you ask the question, what are the problems? That's what I started going through. My first um, contention with this was, you put all four of those lists together and there are either 18, 19, I suppose you might call it 20, depending on how you want. Is pastor teacher one gift or two? Um, is hospitality actually a gift or is it just a different? So to 18, 19, 20 gifts. Uh, people would try and tell me and the books would try and convince me that this was evidence of a hugely generous God. Hmm. I mean, 18, 20 is good, but it's not, hmm. it's not a, a massive amount. And so firstly, I looked at those four gifts and thought, well, what if I don't fit in any of those? Does that mean I've not got a gift of the spirit? I was consistently assured you've definitely been given at least one of these. You just need to find out which one it is. But then when you look at the four gifts, not one of those so-called gifts is on every one of those four lists. Mm. All four of them are different. It's not that you get the same list appearing four times. You get four totally different lists. There is a little bit of crossover, but not one gift, unless you call speaking and prophecy the same gift. Not one of them appears on all four. So, and not one of them refers to each other. Paul doesn't say, look at Peter's list of gifts, or Ephesians doesn't refer back to uh, Corinthians. So it all felt like, hang on a minute, this seems a little bit constraining. This feels like a, a strange way to go. And then when I started looking in a little bit more detail, and I am sometimes a little bit too analytical, I'm often reminded by people, um, only one of those four lists actually refers to gifts of the Spirit. Uh, the others refer to gifts of God or gifts of God's grace or... Um, I think one of them refers to Jesus's gifts. Um, so there, there, there isn't a consistent list for these things. And then, of course, the big overriding one that started to strike me the more I read into it was this is exclusively a New Testament view right. on all this. Yeah. Does this mean that there were no gifts for people in the Old Testament? And that's where my problem started. So it started making me think, I'm not at all convinced that there is such a disparity between the life of an Old Testament believer and the life of a New Testament believer. I do understand the nature of the difference between needing to be, become an Israelite in the Old Testament to be part of the kingdom of God, and now the doors are flung open in the New Testament. But why would gifts be one of those areas that was mm -hmm. so radically different? So that's, they were some of the problems I identified, Sam, and it made me burrow deeper and deeper and start looking again and thinking, hang on a minute, this just doesn't seem quite right. Mm. And I'm just thinking, like, quite often the persons of the Trinity are attributed or one of to certain denominations or Christian mm -hmm. movements. So you've already talked about the charismatics or we might think the Pentecostals and sometimes mm -hmm. it said, you know, they're the spirit church. And then evangelicals sometimes get described, you know, you're all about Jesus or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And do you think there's a similar problem, with, which, and I think that's problematic uh, because yes. we're, we're, we're Trinitarians. Yes. Um, do you think there's a similar problem when it comes to the scriptures that it's it's sort of like the Old Testament here here there's this God sort of a generic God, but uh, not specifically the God who is Father Son and Spirit and mm. the Spirit at work mm. in the Old Testament, and then suddenly Pentecost happens 
uh, you know, obviously Christmas happens at first Christmas. So Jesus comes on the scene, then Pentecost right. happens and the spirit comes on the scene and then we get spiritual gifts. Am I, am I, uh, is, is, am I thinking wrong there or is there something of exactly, that? <clears throat> I think this is, that's exactly how it has been thought and interpreted uh, over uh, recent years within parts of evangelicalism, Sam. And I think you're absolutely right. There are really big problems associated with it and um, problems that leave me feeling hugely uncomfortable and a trinitarian reading of the whole of the bible from start to finish is where i think we need to be not just um the father in the uh old testament the mm. son in the first part of the new testament and then the spirit that just doesn't seem to work at all uh, and i think if we were to look at scripture um certainly if we look at 1 corinthians 12 which is one of those passages that does seem to address this subject uh, the Trinitarian nature of this, I think, is stands out. If we look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, well, in fact, 4, 5, and 6, um, 1 Corinthians 12, let me just read those, and I'll read from mm. the NIV this time. Um, in the context of responding to a, the Corinthians asking about spiritual gifts or maybe spiritual matters, uh, which is what Paul's doing, so his teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 isn't in a vacuum, it's in response one of the primary things Paul sets out in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, is there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, everyone is the same. In everyone, it is the same God at work. That seems to me to be a Trinitarian approach. It feels like the Apostle Paul, as he sets out to answer some of the issues concerning spiritual matters in the church at Corinth, which seems to be experiencing a revival and lacks no spiritual gift, according to chapter 1, verse 7. Mm -hmm. He wants to set out, look, there are gifts of the Spirit, there are services of the Lord, there are workings of God. It's all part of the same thing. Let's not have that isolating members of the Trinity and, and trying to work as if all of them were working totally independent of each other. I think it's right to recognise the different persons of the Trinity and who has responsibility. The Father didn't die on a cross. The Spirit is the one who lives inside of us. But to start looking at any area, let alone that of gifting, and see it purely as the work of the Spirit, I think is to be too narrow and to start introducing a way of the bible that is fraught with danger and will limit what we do um which is why as i say it started making me think hang on a minute what's the old testament take mm. on this what is it that the old testament has to say about a subject such as the gifts of the spirit so um mm. shall i talk a little bit so about what does what it say yeah what, the, the way I did it, again, just uh, this isn't the right way to do it, but it, it ended up at the, the conclusion, I think, that was probably quite useful. I drew up that list of 18 gifts and put it down on a sheet of paper, 18 or 19 gifts, thinking, OK, so if that is the gifts of the Spirit, what does the Old Testament, Old Testament have to say about those gifts? And, of course, a careful reading of Scripture finds all of these gifts uh, just taking the ones is it six or eight that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 every single one of those not only practiced by Jesus in his life which is evidence of the man filled with the spirit beyond measure which is what we'd expect but evident in the life of believers in the Old Testament as well so we mm -hmm. find um the gift of languages being used by people in the Old Testament. When we find miracles, goodness, Elijah and Elisha had their fair share of those. We find healing 
healings sometimes in the plural in various different places we find all of these different elements within the old testament and the other factor that contributed hugely was paul's the apostle paul's um method in writing one corinthians seems to be probably summarized in one corinthians 4 verse 6 which uh seems to me to be quite helpful in understanding his method but then we can see it working out in practice 1 corinthians 4 verse 6 he writes now brothers and sisters i have applied these things to myself and apollos talking about the divisions in the church for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying do not go beyond what is written that i think seems to be the summary for paul's method of writing the whole of 1 Corinthians. There are 16 chapters to it, and in almost every one of those chapters, the Apostle Paul deals with the issues arising either from his own mind that he wants to teach or in response to the letter he's had from them. Paul deals with all of those issues by going back to the Old Testament, by proving what's written, by showing unity of the church. Let's have a look and see what the Old Testament has to say about that how we behave, how we dress, how we regard uh, how we regard each other in terms of marriage, celibacy, all of those, how we deal with idols and um, conducting ourselves in church meetings and so on. He, all he keeps doing is saying, let's see what's written. It is written. There it is in the Old Testament. You'll find the answers there. So the subtext, I think, that Paul tells the Corinthians is, you're not reading your Old Testament enough. Mm-hmm. All of the issues that you're facing, the problems that I'm hearing about, and the issues that you're asking me about, It's all there in the Old Testament. So when we get to chapter 12, when he begins chapter 12 with the words, now about spiritual gifts or spiritual matters, we should expect Paul to be taking the same route and to be saying, let's see what the Bible has to say, what the Old Testament has to say about spiritual matters or spiritual gifts. So those two elements were really instructive for me in thinking Hang on a minute. So the so-called gifts of the Spirit which arrived in the New Testament are actually evident in the life of believers in the Old Testament. And when the Apostle Paul wants to address the issue of spiritual gifts and spiritual matters, he points everyone back to the Old Testament. So that's what started me working in more detail to figure out, so what are spiritual gifts in a whole Bible sense, not just in a Mm. New Testament sense, or perhaps more dangerously, not just in the sense of four passages ripped out of context and put into a book and taught, this is how you understand spiritual, this is how you understand spiritual gifts. No, let's have a look at it from the whole Bible's perspective. And that, I think, opens the door to a much more liberating, much more, um, much fuller, more generous and more wonderful way of thinking about spiritual gifts than we're traditionally used to. Wow. So we wanted to sort of, redefine rediscover spiritual gifts in the light of the whole bible as we meet yep. this trinitarian god yep. you said we open this door into this whole world then what 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 do we discover let me give you two little examples because otherwise i'm going to be talking for ages and you'll be uh looking at the clock thinking for goodness sake did we need to stop if we look at um for example uh, exodus 31 um let me just get this up in the NIV because it's. I could go from mm. New King James, but if I look at Exodus thirty-one, um, 
Exodus 31 from verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of craft. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Asimak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And also I have given ability to all skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. I'll stop there because otherwise we go on for ages. But in the context of preparing the tabernacle, there we have evidence that the living God provides gifts of the spirit that don't fit within those narrow lists that were presented in the uh, th those four passages in the New Testament, but include all sorts of crafts and craftsmanship and jewellery making and um, artisan work, all of which are given by the Spirit of God. The Spirit gives, gives gifts, but he gives gifts that are not so tightly limited. So that was one passage that struck me and made me think, there's more to this than I've been led to believe. But the second one, just for brevity, let me take you to um, uh, Isaiah 28. And I know I'm shooting around a little bit here, Sam. You've heard me preach a few times. You know that this is what I do. And oh, it drives I'm enjoying mad, it. But... I'm enjoying it. <laughs> if we go to Isaiah 28 from verse 23, this one seems a little bit bizarre. Again, some people might look at this immediately and think, what on earth are you talking about this one for <laughs> spiritual gifts? But I think it's important. Isaiah mm. 28 from verse 23. Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer pl plows for planting... Does he plough continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? When he's levelled the first the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, spelt in its field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Uh, it goes on in the next verse to talk about the difference between dealing with caraway. Excuse me. It goes on in the next few verses to talk about the difference in dealing with caraway and cumin. Uh, the, the key point again is verse 29 all this comes from the lord almighty whose plan is wonderful whose wisdom is magnificent it feels to me that as we read that we discover that even a farmer going about the business of farming is given a gift is given gifts by the living god in order to perform the work of farming I, Sam, can assure you that I am not given the gift of farming. I do not know the difference between a caraway seed and a cumin seed unless I had a little jar with a label written on in the cupboard. Uh, I know I think if I were to put the wrong ones in a meal, it would be evident. But the, the fact that you treat, you scatter one and plant the other, the fact that you thresh one and you roll a wheel over the other, all of that is stuff that I don't know and I don't understand. But the fact that there are people who do are gifted by God for that. That, again, just continues to raise in my mind the idea that the living God is entirely generous, is hugely generous in the way that he gives gifts. There aren't a list of 18 or 19 of them. There's all sorts of gifts given to people. And whether we're an electrician or an accountant or whether we make music or whatever it might be, these are gifts given by the living God. And the call on the Christian is to use them for the common good and the building up of the church. That, I think, liberates us from, instead of sitting in a room with a tiny list of gifts, trying to figure out which one we fit, rather, 
we think, what is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that I do? How can I use who I am and what I do for the mm -hmm. building up of the church? I just think that opens the door to a totally different way of serving and, and working in a local church and making church more like uh, that uh, vision that we started with, that it is the Lord God's answers to all the problems of the world. Ah, uh, glory. I think you may have just answered my next question, but I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> Some might say, hang on, Dick, there are Christian farmers, there are non-Christian farmers, mm. there are Christian mm. musicians, there are non-Christian musicians. What's the difference between a spiritual gift and, say, natural ability? Yeah. You see, I'm not sure where we would go to in the Bible for evidence of natural abilities. On the contrary, I think nat naturally or in our nature, the Bible tells us we are of no significance, of no use. Any Anything that we've got, anything that we're good at, anything that's useful and productive in the world, whether we're Christians or non-Christians, comes from a generous God who causes his reign to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, who gives gifts to the righteous and the unrighteous. The difference is the believer uses his gifts or her gifts within the church for the building up of the church and for the common good. There are loads of people with gifts out there given by the living God who use their gifts in ways that are selfish, self-centred, destructive, and not for the building up of the church. The call to the Christian is to use those gifts, those so-called natural abilities, which are actually spiritual gifts given by the living God for the benefit of the church and the building up of the, and for common good, not to promote myself, not to show off, not to try and score points, but to build up the church, to be able to help and serve in all those different ways the churches need. Mm. I think that's where Paul goes in 1 Corinthians 12, right? He lays yes. out the spiritual gifts or some of these spiritual gifts, but then he immediately goes to this exploration of, of the church as the body of Christ. Yes, yes. Unity, yes. Uh, united and diverse. Uh, so I think Paul would, would agree with I that. think you are. And again, just just as a final point on that, in terms of the diversity of gifts, the living God is hugely generous. It's not a tight list. There are all sorts of um, uh, gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, not within those lists. And you don't often, I do occasionally, but you don't often hear people saying, Heavenly Father, please give me the gift of celibacy. Mm -hmm. It is a gift. Uh, uh, give me the gift of giving. You hear lots of people saying, give me the gift of prophecy or preaching and teaching or miracles or healing. But how often do we hear people saying, I want the gift of administration or help or whatever it might be. But interpreting dreams, that's not a list in, in any of the list, lists. Yet it's clearly a gift of God given to people like Joseph and Daniel in the Bible. Uh, children, a gift from God. So there's all sorts of ways. And all, all I find is that we need to be less narrow in our understanding of what spiritual gifts are and less confined by the definition of those gifts and rather think much more broadly about the hugely generous way the living God pours out gifts and abilities on human beings everywhere. And if we belong to the living God, if we are followers of Jesus, if we're part of the church, we are called to use those gifts for the common good, to serve, as you say, in the body of Christ and for building up of the church and making Jesus known. Amen to that. And do you think that would help us um, think through different roles in church? I mean, I think there can be a temptation to to see that the the, the goal for someone is to get them up at the front of church 
because those are where the main gifts get displayed. But actually, I want to say this: is, we, we we must have this massive vision of God's generosity, uh, all these gifts of the Father given by the Spirit to make us like Christ, the body, uh, yes. the, His body, the Church, uh, and actually allow the whole of Scriptures to speak into that. Think it might help in that. Yeah, I think it absolutely must do, Sam. I think the fact that some gifts are put front and obvious and some aren't, uh, in a worldly sense, starts creating hierarchy. In the church, it mustn't. It never does. It shouldn't. It, we are we, we're all uh, gifted and able to contribute to the life of the church. Some of it might be public. Some of it might be quiet. Some of it might be up at the front. Some of it might not be. It doesn't matter. We're all part of a body. And as Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 12 and other places in his letters, and we get it elsewhere in the Bible, different uh, people with different gifts. We're not all meant to be hands. Otherwise, where would our sense of smell be? Mm -hmm. Those examples, I think, are exactly how the life of the body of Christ, the church, is meant uh, to work. We, are, we all have different gifts and abilities. We are called to use them in the service of God and if somebody feels petrified about standing up in, in the front and talking in front of others we're not going to shove them up there and say we think you've got the necessarily got the gift of leadership but they've got lots and lots of other things they might want to do it may well be they've got the gift of leadership but the church is where we nurture that and then we can find that and help to to, to develop that but yeah mm -hmm. all sorts of differences all sorts of different gifts some miraculous some apparently mundane let's not to start scoring points around each other and elevating one above the other let's use them all for making jesus known and uh, sharing him amongst uh, other people who don't yet know who he is mm. and so our, our vision of church has to be uh, more than just this handful of 18 19 20 gifts on display but a place in which gardeners are welcome musicians are welcome embroiderers are welcome oh, yes. all yes. of that yeah yeah well just after you How wonderful that what would that be in the church if oh. people were all there, not looking at others thinking, I don't know what gift I've been given, I don't mm -hmm. score on the left, but knowing that whoever they are and whatever they can do can be used for the, the glory of the church. Yeah, everyone's Absolutely. welcome and everyone's welcome to bring their gift and contribute to the life of Jesus. And Because we're going to wrap up in just uh, a few minutes, but what would you say if there's church planters, church leaders, church members listening to this what what would you just want them to take away from from what you've been sharing um, as we share the gospel of jesus perhaps having a wider um more biblical approach and understanding to spiritual gifts perhaps we can uh, start helping people to feel like they've got a place in church they've got a role in church and they've got a way that they can contribute to the life of church much more easily because we're all gifted in all sorts of different ways uh, and therefore we can be plugged into church really early on we don't have to wait until we've been on leadership courses until we've been to a discernment process until we've spoken to somebody who's going to tell us what our spiritual gift is we get plugged in straight away with whoever we are and whatever it is that we can do the life of the church is meant to be so varied that if we're great at speaking lots of different languages there's all sorts of work we can do in sharing the gospel with those who don't if we're gifted as you say as gardeners electricians as architects whatever it might be there's things that we can do in the church and uh, we mm -hmm. therefore church planters and all of us can encourage new people into the church and find roles for them really easily and a sense of belonging and a sense of worth and and pointing our gifts towards the benefit of the church not just to our own uh, selfish ends oh amen 
I remember hearing from uh, a musician and theologian, Jeremy Begbie, and he was doing a, a lecture on musicians and life of the church. And it, it really mm. impacted me because he said, look, you have musicians and you may just think all that they've got to bring is playing in the band on Sunday. And of course, mm. that's one thing you'd want to do. But he, he said, actually, musicians, they, they could have, they could be all kinds of ways that that gift manifests itself in the life of the church as well as them merely playing instruments or playing instruments on a Sunday and I think that's what's interesting about it when you've got a gardener for example don't maybe don't just think well could they cut the grass around the church (laughs) building how could that gift get expressed in the life of the church not just church gathered but the church scattered as well yeah and I think my wife is an example of that my wife is um, artistic and I don't the, the church doesn't just call on Pauline to help design something and mm. sometimes there'll be a get-together of people who want to express their um, understanding of Jesus in artistic forms and she's able to help facilitate some of that that can be hugely powerful to people to be able to um, you, you might want to paint you might want to draw you might want to make something but the fact that there's an artistic element to human beings and to the church needs outlets so yeah there's all sorts of different ways Sam and I think uh, church planters can be encouraged and excited that as we go out and see and share the good news of Jesus and we might only be small in number there might only be a handful of us but all of us are different all of us have got various different gifts and abilities let's not try and figure out whether they are ticking a particular list let's use what God's given us for the building up of the church Uh, that is a much more exciting way of being part of church yes I've really enjoyed this conversation and just as you've been speaking it strikes me that all that you've been saying uh, about the church and about the the spiritual gifts I think I think all comes together you began this conversation by saying the living God's answer to the world's problems is church and that's the same (laughs) thing as saying the living God's answer to the world's problem is Jesus because the church is the body of Christ here on earth and we think about Jesus he is the Christ the anointed one the one full of the spirit he has all the gifts of, of the spirit and he's anointed to be king, prophet, priest in his particular way. But then as church, I'm just thinking about 1 Peter 2, 9, and we'll just draw things to an end here. But it said, you are a chosen people, a royal priest and a holy nation, God's mm. special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Church is this kingdom of priests who are called to be prophets. And I guess we live out that identity as spirit-filled farmers and spirit-filled musicians and spirit-filled police officers, church leaders and all of this. And so I hope this conversation has been helpful to anyone who's uh, listening. hope it blesses you, uh, especially if we think through this issue of, of spiritual gifts in the life of the church and how we reflect our glorious Jesus out to the world. Dick, thank you so much. Uh, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. It's been a great time. Really enjoyed it. Speak to you again, I'm sure. Absolutely. And thanks for listening. And do uh, tune in to another episode of the Didache podcast soon.